I hope you've been learning and enjoying the book of 2 Corinthians as we see Paul's heart as a pastor, as he's writing back to the church that he planted there in Corinth. Uh, so much to share with them, so much to teach them and encourage them with. Uh, I have to confess this morning's message is going to be one about not losing heart and one about suffering as a Christian. Uh, and it's not always a popular message that people want to hear in church, but it's something that Paul finds it necessary to write and teach the church in Corinth. And I believe it's something necessary that we need to study and learn as well. There's a lot of great knowledge that can come out of what Paul's writing, especially here as we finish up chapter 4 this morning. And I think it'll be very, very uh, pertinent to some of you this morning. Back in verse 1 of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul made the statement. He said, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. In other words, the Apostle Paul said, because we have this ministry, this ministry of the gospel, this ministry of the new covenant, because we have this, it's been given to us, we're stewards of us. Jesus died, on, we're stewards of it. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. We've been given this ministry, therefore we don't lose heart. We keep pushing forward. Our sins have been forgiven. We've received mercy. We must not lose heart. We need to be found good stewards of this message that we've been given. And he went on to say there, we studied it last week. He said, we have renounced the hidden things of shame in our former lives. He said, we handle the word of God carefully and not deceitfully. And if our message is not understood, it's because the people's minds have been blinded by the God of this age. And it's also because of their lack of belief or their lack of faith. Paul went on to say, we are slaves to the Corinthian church. We serve them, we minister to them, but we do it in the name of Jesus Christ. We're working to, for Christ, but we're serving the church there. And he said, this same God, way back in creation that spoke light into the world, spoke light into the darkness, he's the one that spoke this knowledge, this glory of him into our hearts, and this is what we're ministers of, what we have been given in the Lord. Now, have you ever heard the saying, you can't judge a book by its cover? We've all heard that. We know what it means. You can have a, a ratty old book or a cover and it might not be very impressive, but then you read the book and it can contain such wealth of information, such, such rich things coming from inside of it, coming from the words inside of it. Well, Christianity is the same way. It's the same way. Our cover is this flesh, this body that we're in. But what's been placed inside of us? You can't judge a book by its cover. A Christian has something special placed inside of them. They have the gospel of Jesus Christ that's been put inside of this body. We hold it inside of us. That's the heart of the passage before us. For that reason, we do not lose hearts. We endure. Look how the Apostle Paul puts it there in verse 7. He says, we have this treasure. That's the gospel. In earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. Previously, Paul told us we had a ministry associated with the gospel, which we had received. He told us not to lose heart. Now he describes the gospel, and I like it, as a treasure. It's something valuable. It's worth something. It's contained and it's wrapped in an earthen vessel. The earthen vessel. The gospel message is a valuable treasure. The gospel message reveals the most profound truths the world has ever known. It produces the most powerful effects on the lives of the people who simply believe it. It changes their lives, both immediately and eternally. Do you understand that about this gospel? And it's contained 
It's placed inside of an earthen vessel, Paul says. Do you realize through the gospel we're set free from the power of sin and death? We're released from condemnation. We're transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We're given eternal joy, peace, and satisfaction. And all of that comes contained within an earthen vessel. What's an earthen vessel? The word for earthen vessel, it means a clay pot or a clay jar, a container. It's something that you put something in. It's it's a container. It's a container made of clay used to hold something or to contain something. That's why we get the word container. Paul's telling us that we are containers. We are earthen vessels. Our body is the earthen vessel that the gospel is placed into. I bet you never thought of yourself as a container before, did you? You realize you're always putting things in your container? From the things you watch, to the things you listen to, to the things you see, the things you hear. It, it, it's, we're, all, we're always putting stuff in our container. We're, we're filling our container. You ever heard of the container store? Those of you that like to organize, there's a whole business. It's in all kinds of different states. It's called a container store. You know what they sell? Containers. Empty containers. You know what they're banking on? That you've got something to fill that container with. What's the container worth? Nothing if you've got nothing to fill it with, is it? It means nothing to you. But if you have something to fill it with, it can become useful. And it, become, it can become valuable. And they're banking on the fact that you need it. An earthen vessel. A simple container. It finds its value based on what's inside. Not the container itself. The earthen vessel made of clay or pottery. It has no value all by itself. It, it's, it's, just a, it's just a container. But depending on what's inside is where the value comes from. It's based on what it contains or the service it's performed. Some vessels in that day, they were used to haul waste, human waste. Not very valuable, but useful, right? There was a use, they were useful for them. Other containers were used to hold, or vessels were used to hold expensive perfumes. You could have the same container used to hold both. One is very valuable, the other not so much. You see, the value of the container came by what's inside of it. These earthen vessels, they were common in every home. They're not very durable, and when they broke, when they were crushed, they were useless. You know what they did with them? They threw them out into the street and trampled them underfoot. They threw them away. Other items like glass could have been melted down, could have been reused. Metals, gold, silver could have been repaired or repurposed. You see, in fact, when you walk through the ancient cities in Israel, if you like to collect rocks and you look down on the ground, you will see broken pottery everywhere. Pottery shards, little things, earthen vessels that became useless. They were crushed. They're just thrown out into the streets. From thousands of years ago, you can go into the old cities and there they are. As a matter of fact, they gather up all the bigger pieces, they put them in a pile for the tourists to come. They don't want them, they don't want them but they know the tourists are going to go look through the pile. Oh, look, there's a handle of a cup. Oh, look, there's a, there's a part of a cup. And what do we do? We take them home. We fill our suitcases with them and we bring them home. That was the first trip to Israel. I brought all this stuff home. You know what Rebecca said on the second trip? Leave it there. <laughs> we don't need it. It's useless. I realized I brought it home and sat in my drawer for two years till I went back to Israel. I didn't do anything with it. It was, it was useless there. It was useless at my house too. Paul's saying that you and I are earthen vessels. You and I that are believers, if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, he says we're a container. We're an earthen vessel and we contain a treasure. There's a treasure within us. 
We contain the gospel of Jesus Christ. We contain something valuable and we're useful as we're conformed into his image. We, we, do you realize if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the power to change somebody's life just by sharing the information that you know? You can, you can completely change somebody's life. You can share the gospel from not only instantly, but eternally it can change their life as well. Let me run this thought by you. If the value comes from what's inside the container, and we're the container, if our value comes from what's inside of us, and the service we perform as a result of what's inside of us, I wonder why we spend so much money and time on the container. Think about it. Why do we spend so much time on our container rather than realizing the value that's inside of us? Well, that's a rabbit trail for a different message. I'll let you think about that. So if we carry this great treasure, who's actually worthy to be a container for God's light and God's glory? None of us are. We're just simple earthen vessels. The smartest person, they're not smart enough. The purest person, they're not pure enough. The most spiritual person, they're not spiritual enough. The most talented person, they're not talented enough. What are we? We're just clay pots. We're earthen vessels that contain a treasure inside of us. Isn't that great? We don't have to live up to anything. Our treasure is what's inside of us. It's what's, what the Lord places in our hearts. We're just clay pots holding an unspeakably great treasure, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But why would God take something so valuable and place it in such a simple earthen container? Why wouldn't he use the angels to proclaim it through the skies? Why wouldn't he do it more dramatically? Why wouldn't he do something more spectacular to get our attention? He told us right there at the end of verse 7 that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. He wants the glory. The Lord wanted to use ordinary, everyday vessels to put this glorious gospel inside so that we would bring glory to him. It wouldn't be about us. So that we could say, I'm no better than you are. I'm just a crackpot like you. My pot's cracked. My container's cracked, just like yours is. And I had someone come up to me after the first service. And, and she said this. She goes, I might be cracked, but his light's shining out through my crack. I thought, oh, that's so cool. i got to use that in the second service. It's true. We're just a bunch of crackpots. But the Lord's taken something. He's put something valuable inside of us. Why? So that he can get the glory for it. Perfect and durable vessels, they're safe, but they bring glory to themselves. What if he used a gold container, a gold vessel, some beautiful, spectacular thing? You'd have, you, you would be impressed with the thing and not what was inside. When you look at us, what do we really have? Although some of us clean up better than others and all some of us can present a face that are different, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. But he says, I'm going to put my gospel inside of you and I'm going to change your life. What a glorious thing that is. Earthen vessels, they're risky, but they bring profound glory to the Lord. Isn't that amazing how he does that? If we are these earthen vessels and we have this glorious and powerful treasure, the gospel placed inside of us, look what it produces there in verse 8. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. The word hard-pressed, it means to suffer. In other words, Paul's saying we're suffering on every side. 
Life is difficult. From all angles, suffering seems to be coming, but we are not crushed. Once an earthen vessel was crushed, remember, it was useless. We're still useful in spite of our suffering. We're still useful to the Lord. Yes, we will suffer. Yes, we will be hard-pressed. Don't you know that to be true? Is there suffering in this life? You better believe it. If I become a Christian, and all of a sudden the suffering goes away? No, no, no. Not in this Bible. Not in this Bible. Paul, Paul if anyone can speak on suffering, it's the Apostle Paul. But notice this. We will be hard-pressed. We will suffer. But we will never be completely overwhelmed. That's what the word crushed means. Not because we're strong earthen vessels. Because of what's contained inside of us. Because of what's inside of us. Paul also says we're perplexed. Perplexed. You ever been perplexed? Yeah. Here's what the word means. It means to be at a loss, to be uncertain, to be anxious, to be in doubt. You ever been perplexed? Yeah, you better believe it. We will face uncertainty. We'll face serious anxiety. But you will not be in despair. And that word for despair, it means to be in an utter loss. So that that we would even despise living totally despaired in our lives. These types of thoughts don't come from the Lord. Yes, you will be perplexed, but you will not find yourself in utter despair. Paul's telling us that we will face times in life where we are at a loss. We'll be uncertain, anxious, doubtful, but it's never going to get so bad that we are completely and utterly destroyed. We will never be crushed by it, it says. In verse 9, Paul says we will be persecuted, but we won't be forsaken. Persecuted. Christians around the world right now are being persecuted. Oh, we have the pleasure of meeting in a church and the air conditioner is set just right for some of us. And, and we get the wonderful thing. And we can gather and leave the doors open. Anybody wants to come in can come on in. It's not the way it is around the world. Paul's saying we will be persecuted. We will be persecuted, but we will not be forsaken. We will not be forgotten. We will not be left on our own. Persecution is certain, but you won't be forgotten. He said, we will be struck down, but not destroyed. The Greek word for struck down, here's what it means. It means to be, it means being caused significant pain or injury. Literally hitting a person, striking them so hard, they fall over. This is what Paul's saying. That will happen to the believer. Yes, we will be in pain. Yes, we we will be attacked, but we will not be destroyed. We will not be destroyed. He says we'll be hard-pressed, we'll be perplexed, we'll be persecuted, we'll be struck down. But he also promised us we will not be crushed, not in despair, not forsaken, and not destroyed. You see, we need to have that as a promise in our Bible, in our life. If you're suffering this morning, and, and suffering can come from many different places. It's not always illness. It can be illness. It can be... Uh, it can be difficulty with children, with raising children, not having children. It can be wanting a relationship. Whatever it is that we find ourselves suffering for, we need to have the promises that we will not be crushed. We will not be in despair. We will not be forsaken. We will not be destroyed. You see, that's the hope that comes from the scriptures. The world says, hang on the best you can. The Bible says you will not be destroyed. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be difficult. But if you keep your focus right, it will not destroy you. Paul's life was hard. Paul knew the power and the victory of Jesus in his life. Do you? Do we understand that? Do we understand and believe what Paul is teaching us this morning? There'll be difficulty in the Christian life, but it will not destroy us. When we talk about, let me say this, Jesus put it this way. John 16, 33. 
These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But it doesn't end there. It says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Praise the Lord. When we talk about suffering like this, there's a tendency sometimes to spiritualize it. To say, well, no, no, Paul's not talking about real physical suffering. Yes, he is. He's talking about pain and suffering. He's talking about illness. He's talking about friends and family leaving. Paul's not talking about spiritual suffering. He lived this every day as he preached the gospel. He, he walked through it day after day. And I'm concerned that as Christians today, we're becoming suffering wimps. A little bit of suffering happens and we start whining and crying about it. We start complaining about it. The moment it comes, Lord, take it away. Make it stop. No, end it, Lord. Make it go away. Make my friend stop saying mean things to me. Make my boss give me that promotion. Give me a raise. I can't handle being alone anymore, God. I'm tired of being sick. Make it, whatever it is, stop it. Listen carefully, and this is very, very important. If you walk away with nothing else, I want you to know this. There are some aspects of God's great work in our lives that only happen through trials and suffering. There are some aspects in God's work, in his great work, in our lives that you can only experience through trials and sufferings. And I know when you're in it, you go, oh, I don't want to be here. But you've got to trust that he's doing something there. And I know it's not a popular message. I know people don't want to hear that suffering is part of a Christian life. Suffering is a part of life. Just being a Christian gives you a better way to deal with it. Sin is rampant in the world. Suffering, all the things we deal with as Christians, everyone that's not a believer deals with them too. But as a Christian, I have the hope of eternity. We're going to see what Paul says about it. He's going to say it's, it's temporary. And if you're following Jesus, you're a believer in Jesus, and you're here this morning, and you say, this is me, I'm suffering. I want you to know something. I want you to, I'm going to read it to you again. You will not be struck down. You will not be crushed. You will not be in complete despair. You are not forsaken. You will not be destroyed. See, sometimes we need to underline that in our Bible. We need to highlight it. Because we're in the midst of suffering, we forget that, don't we? And all of those promises don't, become, don't come because you're so strong. It doesn't come because you can handle the situation. It doesn't come because you're a, a real strong earthen vessel. No, it comes because we're an earthen vessel that contains a great treasure, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we can say, I will not be destroyed because of the promises that I take out of scripture. That's where my hope lies. There's nothing more amazing than to watch a believer suffer through something and give glory to God through the whole thing. Not that it's not hard. Not that they don't cry. Not that they don't need prayer. Not that they don't, that, that, not that it doesn't just, they feel like they're being crushed. That all, that's all true. But they can say, Lord, I know you're doing something here. I don't know what it is, and I'm not even happy with my situation, but I trust my God is in control. Paul's not done describing the Christian life. He says there in verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. It's a little confusing in those three verses. I want to read it to you from the New Living Translation. 
It makes it a little clear. Listen as I read from the New Living Translation. The same three verses, verses 10, 11, and 12. Through suffering, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. The Apostle Paul, or to the Apostle Paul, the death of Christ was not just a historical fact. It wasn't something that just occurred in 32 or 33 AD. It was something that he carried inside of himself. It was something that dwelt within him. The death of Christ was spiritually working inside of Paul, and it was benefiting everybody around him. In Philippians 3.10, he wrote this, and he was speaking of Jesus. He said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Many people want to fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of his resurrection. I want to do that. I like that. That's the, that's the best part. Very few want anything to do with the fellowship of his sufferings. But you realize that's where the growth happens. That's where he reveals himself to you in a way that you may have never known. That's where he comes alongside and comforts when nothing else has to, when the doctors run out of answers, when everything runs out, and the Lord says, I'm going to help you with this. That can only be found in suffering. One person wrote this. He said, there are certain fragrances God can only release through a broken vial. So Paul rejoiced in knowing both the suffering and the glory. He knew they were connected. He knew they were connected. The suffering of God is connected with the glory. Yes, we, sat, we identify with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Paul says, I'm identifying also with the suffering of Jesus Christ. The things that he endured. Because of this, Paul was able to say there in verse 12... So then, death is working in us, but life in you. The things Paul brought to the Corinthian Christians came through the very things that he suffered. In other words, his suffering is what enabled him to be a more effective and useful minister of the gospel. Because he's teaching on something, he's writing on something he's lived through. He's sharing us with something he knew about. And you know what? The Corinthian Christians, they looked down on Paul for his suffering. They thought less of him because of his suffering. They thought a truly spiritual man would always be walking in victory. No problems, no suffering. He should be blessed and abounding with health and money. All that he needs. They looked at him as though he had no favor with God whatsoever. Oh, were they wrong? Paul is saying, no, 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 you don't understand. That's not true. That person is fake. They're presenting to someone they're not really. Oh, there's times in, the life where, in our life where we're, that we're doing well and we're rejoicing, but there's also times where we're suffering, where we're difficulty. Paul's saying it's just the opposite. He says, you have a life. Your salvation is because of my suffering, because I've endured the sufferings to bring the gospel to you. It's produced something in me. It's produced the, the, what, I, what I know, the knowledge I have of God is a result of my suffering. And aren't you glad that he suffered? For he wrote most of the New Testament. The letters that he wrote. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Some think he wrote Hebrews. 
Luke wrote the book of Luke underneath of Paul. Luke wrote the book of Acts underneath of Paul. Most of what we have is Paul. Paul's able to bring that to us. Here we are 2,000 years later gathering to study, and it's a direct result of what the sufferings he endured. He, he, he had to go through it because it made him a better minister of the gospel. I'm able to share the truth about the Lord. I have an understanding, he would say, that only comes from suffering. If you're suffering this morning, if you're in difficulty, the Lord's with you. You will not be crushed completely. Yes, it'll hurt, it'll be painful, but I want you to know you will not be forsaken. He's walking with you. Look at verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. When Paul says spoke there, he's referring to preaching the gospel. He's saying we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he wrote. I believe, therefore I spoke. Paul says we believe, therefore we speak. It's an important principle. The psalmist had to have faith before that he wrote. It came from God. He had to believe in God before he could write the words of God. Paul had to have faith before he preached. The testimony always follows faith. It's the faith in Christ that allows the testimony to be created. You've heard me say it many times, I think. The bragamony, that's the part to where you get saved. That's how bad you are. And we like to say, oh, let me tell you how bad I was. I was caught up in this. I was caught up in that. I did this. That, that's your bragamony. When people say, let me share my testimony with you, and they get to the part, and then I got saved. I said, no, that's the beginning of your testimony. What has God done with you since you've been saved? You see, that's just the, the bragamony. That's how, yeah, we all have a bragamony to some sorts. But after you followed him, after you said, I'm following the Lord Jesus for the rest of my life, what has he done? That's where the miracles come in. That's where, that's the amazing, this is where he, he, he walks with you and he, he ministers to you and he builds you up and he sends you out and he teaches you. That's, that's where the testimony happens. That's your testimony. Paul really believed that God had a purpose in his sufferings. And because he really believed that, he lived and experienced the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. And therefore, he wasn't hesitant to speak about it. When you really believe something, you'll share it, won't you? When you find a good recipe, don't you put it on Facebook? When you find some cool little trick, you put it on Facebook. When you find some cool thing everybody needs to know about, you tell everyone, hey, guess what I found, guess what I heard? What about the gospel? Is there a desire to share what's happened? If you really believe it, if it's changed your life, you don't have to, and, and I'm, not, I'm not an advocate of go knock on five doors a week and share the gospel. You just live your life, it's going to come out of you if you really believe it. It's just going to happen. You're not going to be able to hold it back. No different than you share a good recipe or a good thing. Hey, what's going on? People will look at you and go, oh, that's delicious. What's the recipe? Look at your life and go, your life looks great. How are you doing that? Well, let me tell you. I got saved. I started following Jesus Christ. Your marriage has gotten so much better. How did that happen? Let me tell you. It just comes out. It's, it's not something we have to manufacture. It's the light shining through us, through our cracks sometimes. I don't want you to miss what Paul's speaking about there in verse 14. He says, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound 
to the glory of God. Paul was confident that God would present both himself and the Corinthians. Well, if you were here for the study of 1 Corinthians, isn't that a miracle? You'd think that church, what a disaster they were. But Paul's confident he's going to present himself and the Corinthians holy and blameless in his sight. God's going to do it. God's doing the work. God's going to present us holy and blameless in his sight, not us presenting ourselves holy and blameless. He's going to do the work. They'd be raised up in the sight of the Lord. Paul was selfless, selfless man. And he, said, I'm, and he tells them, all the things I'm doing, I'm doing them for you. I'm serving you so that grace would spread more and more. More and more people would see the grace and it would spread and it would cause more and more people to give thanks to the Lord. That's what he's writing there, which will bring more glory to God. It's all about the Lord. Certainly, Paul's goal was never his own comfort, his reputation, or his popularity. The final goal of Paul's selfless, sacrificial service the final thing he wanted was more voices around the throne of God. That's what he wanted. More voices around the throne of God. That's why he could say what he does in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. At the beginning of the chapter, Paul said, since we have this ministry, since we've received mercy, we don't lose heart. And here he says, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Throughout the chapter, Paul discusses his sufferings. He said, we're hard-pressed on every side. He said, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're struck down. Through all of this, we don't lose heart. Because what's on the inside because of the great treasure that's been placed on the inside allows me to persevere through what I'm going through on the outside. That's what he's talking about here. But why, Paul? Why shouldn't we lose heart? Paul would say, of course your outward man is perishing. Don't you know that? All of our outward man is, man is all of our bodies are perishing. You know that? You're one day closer to death today than you were yesterday. Assuming we're all alive here. We're closer. It just has to be that way. We're closer than today, today than we were yesterday. We're all perishing in some way. We don't lose heart. Paul would say, of course your outward man is perishing. He said, but a believer, your inward man, it's being, what did he call it? Renewed. Day by day. It's being renewed. Why would something need to be renewed? Because it's getting worn out. It's getting old. It's being renewed. My inward man, your outward man may never get renewed. But your inward man can be renewed. In the spirit, you can be renewed. On the outside, we're suffering. We're taking a beating. But on the inside, God can bless and renew us at exactly the same time. We can be difficult situations on the outside and be being blessed on the inside. Let me ask the hard question. Are you being renewed day by day? Are you experiencing that? If you're, if you're in a difficult situation, are you experiencing that day by day renewal? You see, I know that in my own personal life, I'd have to say, there's been times where I'd have to say, no, I don't feel like I'm being renewed. Maybe the Bible says I'm supposed to be, but I'm not there. I feel like I'm being hard-pressed. I'm being perplexed. I'm being persecuted. I'm being struck down. That's where I'm at, Rob. What's the focus of your inward man? Is your inward man focused on your circumstance? On the container? Or is it focused on that which is eternal? Is it focusing on the Lord? If you're focusing on the things like the Apostle Paul, the promises of what Scripture says, 
that says we will not be crushed. We are not in despair. We are not forsaken. We are not destroyed. You see, sometimes our outward man can take control of our inward man and get the focus off, get the perspective wrong. We're focusing on the situation. We're focusing on what we don't have, the problem in front of us, the issue, the whatever it is. And we need to get the inward man back focused on the Lord. It's really easy to do. Worship in the Word. That's how we do it. I realize who God is. I realize who I am. I come to the realization, yes, my outward man is perishing. I understand that. I understand that's happening in my life. It's happening to all of us. But I have the responsibility. I have the ability to take my inward man and focus it wherever I want. And so do you. Do you set your mind on things above? Or do you set your mind on your circumstance? Do you set your mind on those things that are peaceable and pure and holy and righteous? Or do you set your mind on the outward container of what's falling apart, of what's not working, of, of how you know, homeschooling's not going right? Whatever the problem is that's persecuting you, whatever it is, where's your mindset? Is it on the outside or on the Lord? Do you see the difference? We must keep our perspective eternal. We must replace the lies of Satan with the promises of God's word. He wants to tell you you're going to be destroyed. And you have to say, no, I'm not. If we're focused on these things like the Apostle Paul, these promises in the scripture, they say this, we are not crushed. We are not in despair. We are not forsaken. We are not destroyed. We need to remind ourselves of those. And perhaps for some of you this morning, it needs to be what you underline and what you highlight. Look at Paul's insight there in verse 17. He gives us a reason. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul writes, for our light affliction. You might be wondering, Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. My affliction's not light. My affliction's heavy. How can you write something like that? Paul, maybe you've never even suffered with any real affliction. Who are you to tell me my affliction is light? Let me just give you a list of what Paul suffered. He's been scourged. He's been sent to prison. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. And that's not the medical marijuana kind. That's the rocks. He's been shipwrecked. He's been robbed. He's been in perils of my own countrymen. And peril means serious or immediate danger. Perils of my own countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil, sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Not even clothes to wear. You know what's amazing about this list? Most of us would never experience half of that list or part of it. But I want to show you something. These are only the physical and outward things that he was burdened with. These are the only physical sufferings. What about the spiritual burdens that he carried? What about the spiritual attacks that he faced? They're not even mentioned in that list. I say all that to say, yes, Paul knows what suffering is. He's not counseling. He's not teaching from a position where he doesn't understand. He suffered more than most of us ever will. But with the proper perspective... 
he was able to look at his afflictions and say, they're nothing. They're light. They're temporary. Paul, how do you have this perspective? How can, how can I look at my suffering, my afflictions the same way? He, look what he says. Our afflictions are light. Realize what they really are. He says it's only for a moment. It might seem forever when you're in it, but it says it's only temporary. And the third thing he says there, they are working in us to produce a greater and eternal weight of glory. Highlight that. What you're going through is working in you to produce a greater and eternal weight of glory. Paul, okay, how do I transfer that into my life? How do I take that? You said that. Okay, I believe that. Now, how do, what, how do I make that applicable to my life? What do I have to do to make that happen in my life? How do I take my difficult circumstance and make it and see that? He tells you right there in verse 18. Do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they're eternal. When you're looking at the things that are seen, what are you looking at? Your affliction your circumstance, the situation that you're in. That's where your focus is. Both your outer man and your inner man is focused on both of them. And what does it produce? Anxiety, fear, worry. I'm not in control. It gives that out of control. I can't control this. You're right. You can't. Let God control it. Take your inner man and focus it on him. When you look at the things that are not seen, what can't you see? You can't see eternity. You can't see the Lord directly. What are you producing? The eternal weight of glory. You see, it's all a matter of perspective. Where are you focusing? And just to be clear, the word look, it means this. It means to keep on giving serious consideration to something. To keep on giving serious consideration to something. To ponder, to let one's mind dwell on, to keep thinking about, to fix one's attention on. And I point that out because it's not that we don't have difficult decisions to make. But when we keep on thinking it, we keep on rehashing it, we keep on setting our mind there. Don't belittle the situations or the decisions or the circumstances. But when that becomes where our mind is focused, we wake up thinking about it, we go to bed thinking about it, we, at lunch we think about it, at dinner we think about it, it's always thinking about it, then, you're, then that's what you're looking at. That looking at me to keep on giving serious consideration to something. Paul doesn't want us to continue to look doesn't want us to keep on giving consideration to the sufferings we face or the difficulties before us. doesn't want us to keep on looking on the things of the world. You see, Paul understood this. The, tempta- temptations, of the, pa- the temptations of this passing world, they were of no interest to Paul. To live as Christ, to die as gain, he said. He wasn't interested in earning a fortune, having a large estate or a prominent career, or even a clean bill of health. He had none of those things. In fact, by the world standard, you might even look at Paul and say, you're a failure. But you know what? It was all by choice. He exchanged all of that. After all, Paul was a highly educated Hellenistic Jew. He was educated and a student of the most prominent rabbi of his day, Gamaliel. He was a member, likely a member of the Sanhedrin. He probably had risen to the pinnacle of Jewish society. Well known. Yet he gave it all up to focus on eternal things. All on eternal things. What did he focus on? The triune God and the souls of men. I'm focusing on God and the souls of men. That was his focus. And he endured all of that affliction along the way. Paul was a supreme example of one who understood the secrets of enduring, no matter how difficult the trial, 
or how painful the circumstance that he was in. He looked at the things that could not be seen. And just like Paul, those who look on the things that aren't seen, those things that are eternal, the Lord, and they don't let their present situation, their temporary realities, blind them to the future of eternity, they will be able to say and proclaim with the mighty apostle Paul, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Where's your focus at? Is it eternal on the things that can't be seen or is it on the situation? You see, we come to church sometimes to get refocused. And hopefully this morning that will happen. Let's pray. Lord, as we open up your word together this morning as a body of brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, most of us have witnessed your great hand of work and how mighty and powerful you are. And most of us have experienced some sort of difficulties. And perhaps some of us are in them now. Lord, I pray these words of scripture would comfort us. That we would find if our focus is off that it needs to be refocused. If we've been focusing on what can be seen, may we shift our focus to the things that cannot be seen. May we realize the difficulties. They're short. They're temporary. That there's being worked out something in us. That you're working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory through it. Lord, may we not doubt. May we walk faithfully through whatever it is, knowing that we're not forsaken, that you're walking with us. But Lord, help us to keep our perspective right. Because it's so easy to look at the world. It's so alluring. It's so drawing. It's so tempting. But Lord, I just pray that you would minister to us. You would draw us into your word. That our prayer time would be sweet with you. And we would draw closer to you. Lord, I thank you for the treasure that you've placed inside of us. May we witness and believe ourselves to be simply containers of a glorious treasure that's been given to us by you. And may your light shine forth through us. In Jesus' name, amen.